Hallelujah. It's so good to be here uh, this morning. Uh, before I get started, I want to I uh, say again that I, that I love you all dearly. I, I told uh, Pastor Brandon on the podcast earlier this week that, you know, it's not many places that you can go and feel right at home. And, uh, you know, me and my wife got to come here uh, last week, and, and we, we really enjoyed it. And uh, so I really appreciate uh, just the, the hospitality and the love that, that you guys showed us. I believe that's my, is that my brother back there? No? No? Okay. I'm seeing things. I, saw, I thought I saw my brother back there. He's, he was potentially going to come, but uh, uh, I, uh, I look forward to, to what the Lord is going to do uh, through our partnership together. And so I just really appreciate, you know, um, when I first met Brandon, he took me to the Hare and the Hound, right? That's, that's the name of it, the Hare and the Hound, and had the best chicken salad I've ever had in my entire life, like literally. And so I can't wait to go back and have another conversation. Uh, but the moment I met your pastor, I knew that he was uh, a man of the word, uh, just, just a, a powerful man of the word. And, and for me as an evangelist, you know, I'm I'm sort of all over the place all the time. I'm always running on, on fumes, lack of sleep, and uh, just moving from one place to the next. And so when I, I, I really have this heart's desire to get around men of God uh, like your pastor. So can we just give your leadership a big round of applause? Um, it means the world to me, brother. Thank you. So if you want to pull up that photo of, of John Chow, um, if it's okay with you guys, I really just want to share my heart with you this morning. Um, you know, I was thinking last night on what I was going to uh, preach on, and I just couldn't get away from, from this story. Show of hands, I, I'm guessing the percentage is small, but show of hands, who in here has seen this picture before? So we got one. Any more? One, yeah. So this picture is very significant to me and my story, and I'm going to explain why. So I, I want to ask you guys to bear with me because uh, I really, really want to share uh, my heart with you this morning, and this picture right here is the beginning of something that happened in my life that I'll never forget, but can we pray really quick? Dear Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We give this sermon to you, Lord. We lay this down at the foot of the cross and Lord, I ask if there's anybody here in this place that does not know you, I ask that you would convict their hearts right now as they sit in that seat. I ask that you would convict their hearts right now as they sit in that seat to not walk out of that back door without getting things right with you, Lord. It says in your word that for what is this life but even a vapor that appears for just a little time and then vanishes away. Lord, we don't have much time left. And Lord, I ask that you would save souls. Draw every man, draw every woman, draw every boy, draw every girl to you this morning in this place. Change hearts. May we lay everything down at your feet. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. November 17th, 2017, at just 26 years old, John... Alan Chow gave his life trying to reach one of the most remote and unreached tribes in the world in the North Sinhalese Islands. 
That's an island in the Indian Ocean. These people have kept themselves separated from the rest of the world forever as far as we know. In the past, there have been several tragedies when people have tried to make contact with them. In 2004, a big tsunami hit and helicopters were flying over the island surveying damage. And these people, probably having no idea what helicopters were, began shooting arrows at them. In 2006, a fisherman was killed who got too close in which the story got out to different news outlets. So the government of India set up a no-go zone around the island for five nautical miles. And they made it illegal for anyone to make contact with these people. But John Chow, since he was 18 years old, heard the call of God on his life to go to this island and bring them the gospel. Now this island is very well known to missionologists because it's one of the last places we know of that's never been exposed to the outside world. But John had this burden to take the gospel to these people. And since he was 18, every step he took was to prepare him for this moment. He volunteered to work with broken youth both in Tulsa and in South Africa. He worked as a missionary in northern Iraq among the Syrian children who are refugees. He went to ORU and graduated with a degree in health and, and exercise science. He studied emergency medicine, linguistics, and cultural anthropology. He was exercising and eating right, reading 100 books a year to prepare him for this journey. Before he went, he had 13 immunizations and even quarantined himself for several weeks so that when he went to the island, he wouldn't hurt the people there. Contrary to popular belief, he had no desire to bring American culture to this island. All he wanted to do was to go there, learn their language, live with them for many years if necessary, all to have the Bible translated into their, their language and for them to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Contrary to many of the news articles that came out, in 2018, John had no desire to go alone. There was an interview done by one of John's closest friends who said that after the news surfaced about John's death, she received many phone calls and text messages from many people who John had asked if they would go with them. He wasn't trying to be a hero. He wanted a team to go with them, to go with him, but all of them were too scared. From what I've learned of this man, his tenacity was remarkable. Despite the barriers and restrictions and the fact that it was illegal and incredibly difficult and very, very dangerous, and he was all by himself, still he found a way. He hired fishermen who took him about half a mile away, and then he had to use a canoe to paddle himself the rest of the way. If you want to pull up the Washington Post. Chow's diary, which his family provided to the Washington Post, as you see here, unfolds like the adventure novels he once read. He arrived in the Adamans on October 16th, and paid fishermen to take him by boat at night to the island on November 14th. 
evading the lights of the patrols on the way. When the sun broke, Chow drew near to the tribe, and the women began looing and chattering, he wrote. And he was faced by men armed with bows and arrows. My name is John. I love you, and Jesus loves you. Quote, he shouted before retreating. The second day, he kayaked to the island and tried to offer the tribe small gifts, fish, scissors, cord, and safety pins. A man in white with a crown, possibly made of flowers, shouted at him. He responded by singing worship songs and hymns, and the tribe fell silent. A juvenile fired an arrow at him, piercing his waterproof Bible. Chow fled on foot through the mangroves. Lord! Is this island Satan's last stronghold where none have heard or even had the chance to hear your name, he wrote. By the third day, he became convinced he was going to die. Watching the sunset, and it's beautiful, crying a bit, wondering if it, would, if it will be the last sunset I see, he wrote. He asked the fishermen to drop him on the beach. They returned the next day and saw the tribesmen dragging Chow's body. Now, in recent times, I've come very close with a very close friend of John Chow's, and I've done interviews with this person, and, and I wanted to get to know the essence of this man because I, I saw the articles circulating from Bible college deans and professors and, and all kinds of different people, so it intrigued me to hear more of his story there was an inter interview with a close personal friend of John's that said, during the 10 years that she knew him before his death, Jesus was everything to him. She described him as selfless, courageous, quirky, and kind. She said that he was there for her in rough times and that he was a good listener. She said everything he did was for the purpose of walking out the call of God on his life. She said he was the only millennial she ever met who asked her if she was truly sold out for Jesus. This is a quote from a youth pastor in Arkansas. John was caught up in a dangerous set of ideologies that helped to drive him to do something so unwise. He should have known better. God help us. This is a guy teaching some of our youth. I heard the same quotes, I heard the same comments before flying out to Pakistan, um, where we saw 4,567 documented decisions for Christ in one of the darkest and most oppressed places in the world. If you want, you can, you can play, for those of you that haven't seen the, the Pakistan footage, we can play that short clip I sent as well. That's the, that's the, uh,
It was in that crusade where we saw, again, 4,567 documented decisions for Christ in one of the darkest places in the world. And if I had listened to the comments of uh, peers and, and people around me, you know, it's something that I, I really wanted to, to share this morning is, you know, it's not just the devil that's, that's going to stand in your way between you here and, and these precious lost people. It's also people closest to you. It's also friends and even family. And, you know, the devil likes to use anything he can to keep you from your calling. And this morning, I'm, I want to urge you, if there's somebody in this place that knows, you know in your heart of hearts, you know that you are called to evangelism. You know that you are called to reach the lost. You know that you are called to do something greater than yourself. Now's the time because time is running out. Time is running out. Here's another quote from a dean from a Bible college. Chow's approach is on the naive end of the mission spectrum. I also heard comments like this before, before going to Pakistan. But why do I share this story of John Chow with you this morning? I wanted to write this down so that I, that I shared my heart with you. I usually don't do this, but I really wanted you at the Well Church to know where I'm coming from. Well, because one late night in 2018, after preaching the gospel at the Spartanburg Detention Center, I was driving down Highway 85 when I heard John Chow's story at around 11 p.m. for the first time. It was late. I was exhausted. But I wasn't exhausted in the way that you may think. I was exhausted. I was tired. I was sick of the watered-down, ineffective, and toothless approach to reaching the lost that I had seen most of my Christian life. And I was even upset at myself for even considering trying to fit in this man-made box I'd found myself in. More importantly, I was tired of waiting on approval from those around me and decided that night that enough was enough. Growing up here, I didn't really have anyone to look to. I didn't really have anyone to look to. And as an evangelist in the South, you know, something I learned is you know, what I, what, I, what I was sort of taught as an evangelist is somebody that goes from church to church. 
circulates from church to church, but what I see in the Bible, an evangelist is somebody that goes to the lost. An evangelist is somebody that goes to the unreached. An evangelist is somebody that goes to the lost no matter what the cost. Listening to Chow's story that night with tears falling down my face, I realized I wasn't okay with the compromise and the complacency that I was surrounded with in my circles at that time when I knew that there was still 3.2 billion unreached people in the earth. Pastor, you, you mentioned on the podcast earlier this week about how you've been watching you know, me for a while. You, you talked about the prison ministry and the crusades and, and, and following me on Facebook. Well, what most of my Facebook friends don't know about is the friends that I've lost. The doors slammed in my face. They don't know about the people who have told me, just like they told John Chow, that I have gone off the deep end. Well, today, I want to make a declaration and promise to you, Pastor Brannon, and to the Well Church that we are just getting started, and I'm going even deeper, and I'm not looking back. I'm making a declaration to you, Pastor Brennan, and the Well Church, that with every breath left in me, I will go after the lost with a relentless love for the rest of my time here on this earth. I guess what I'm saying is, I'm going to war, war with the devil, and I'm inviting all of you to help me, partner with me, and pray for me. I'm willing to dive into the pit if you'll hold tightly to the rope. Not long after that night hearing John's story, we stepped into Kahama, Africa, with an intention to take back territory from the devil and saw 57,381 documented decisions for Christ Hundreds of pastors set on fire to see their churches reach the lost and a city changed forever. We can play that Kahama video. That the creator of the universe sent his only begotten son to die on a cross so that you can be set free.
every night of that crusade, it rained. <laughs> you can see where we're dancing on stage. That was because it rained literally every night, and so we would we would start dancing on the stage to keep people there. <laughs> so it would start raining, and people would scatter, and it would stop raining. People would come back. It would start raining. People would scatter. So I apologize for that awful dancing you just saw. We did what we could. I, I do want to share a, a poem with you and also a quote that really touched my, my heart early on back in 2018. You know, what I'm hoping this morning is that there's somebody in this audience that was just like me, ready to step out of the boat but too scared to do it. Maybe you see Jesus out in deep waters and you know you're supposed to step out of the boat. You know you've supposed, you, you know you have uh, needed to step out of the boat for many years, but there's been many people in the boat that's been holding you back. Now, I doubt that's true in a church like this. This is probably the most on fire church I've been to in a long time. You just kick them out of the boat. But I know that no matter where I go, there's always somebody that knows that God is calling you to something deeper, that God is, God is calling you to something greater than yourself. And I want to stop and say this. I wanted to share my heart with you this morning. I'm, I'm a kid from the South. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm not the greatest speaker. Every time I get up here, I'm scared to death. Everything that I do, I always in my flesh think that I'm going to fail. But somehow, somehow God always meets me in the middle. Always. He just is looking for somebody to take that first step. And so I am pleading with you this morning. It's not about your skill set. It's not about your degree. And I know you've, you've heard these things before, but I want it to hit you in the heart this time. I am proof. I promise you I am proof that the weak can do the things of the Lord. And honestly, that's what he wants so he can get the glory. And you know this. But I don't think that it internalizes sometimes. We think that, that to see people saved or to see an entire generation pulled off the devil's table, it takes a certain type of person. Anybody can replace me. Anybody. All he's looking for, and I'm, I'm, te I'm telling you this from the bottom of my heart, all he's looking for is somebody that will say, yes, send me, I will go. I will go. That's all he's looking for, and, and I just keep saying that. And I, I wish I could say that it gets easier but it's always scary. I'm always afraid. I'm always skeptical. But somehow the Lord always comes up under me and, and lifts me across the water, man. It's the most beautiful and precious thing. And so I, I just, I'm just pleading with you. If there's somebody here this morning that knows you're supposed to be down at this altar to lay it all down, you know, I, I, I guarantee there's people in here, you've given 25%. You've given 50%. You've given 75%, but Jesus wants your whole house. He wants it all, and he wants you to do that this morning. There's no more time to waste. You know, I, I see and spend time with lost people on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. The devil is doing a very good job of trying to go after the world. We have to be just as tenacious. We have to be just as aggressive. We have to go after the lost with a relentless love like never before, especially now. And it's going to take us together to do it. 
Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we arrived safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your majesty. We're losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push into the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. Sir Francis Drake, a 1577 explorer. That same night, and you can pull that picture back up of John Chow, that same night, I was driving down the road listening to John Chow's story. I also heard this quote from an evangelist that I truly admire, and it changed me forever. Have we forgotten about a gospel that calls for sacrifice and the willingness to lay down our very lives? Have we forgotten that there's a price to follow Jesus and to impact the world? Have we bought into a gospel that says it's all about me and my comfort and my prosperity? Have we bought into a gospel that says as long as someone isn't hurting anyone else, just leave them alone? Have we forgotten that Christianity was founded by a man who built it by pouring out his blood? Have we forgotten about the apostles through which our faith was delivered, died gruesome, bloody deaths to deliver that gospel that we hold so dear to us, and that every one of them laid down their lives for that gospel? Have we forgotten that for the first 200 years of church history, our fathers were burned at the stake, they were sawn in half, they were crucified, burned, and tortured for their faith? Have we forgotten that they were used as human torches in Nero's garden? Have we forgotten that they were used to be fed to the lions in the Roman Colosseum? Have we forgotten that they were shot with arrows, they were skinned alive when they went to foreign lands to preach the gospel? Have we forgotten that Christianity has always spread through the conversion of pagan people? Imagine all the heathen tribes since the time of Jesus that have been converted because somebody dared to go and preach the gospel knowing that it could cost them their very lives. This quote reminds me of Hebrews chapter 11. It says in verse 32 through 38, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Japheth, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, Wax violent in fight, turn the flight, the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. It means they could have been delivered, but they didn't accept it. And they might obtain a better resurrection. And other, others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings. 
Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth, of whom the world was not worthy. That Bible college dean or that youth pastor in Arkansas might call John Chow naive. He might call him foolish, but the word says that the world was not worthy of him. Some of you may have read the Fox's Book of Martyrs. I want to read you a little excerpt of that. Accordingly, having came to Smyrna, he wrote to the church at Rome, exhorting them not to use means for his deliverance from martyrdom, lest they should deprive him of that which he most longed and hoped for. Now I begin to be a disciple, he says. I care for nothing of visible or invisible things so that I may but win Christ. Let fire and the cross, let the companies of wild beasts, let breaking of bones and tearing of limbs, let the grinding of the whole body and all the malice of the devil come upon me. Be it so, only may I win Christ Jesus. If you think this is something that happened only in the early church, think again. That video that I just showed you of Kahama, you can see where it says Muslims being set free. And there's a man that comes up holding a Bible that I gave him. That is Abdul. One day in Kahama, I was getting the crusade ready. I was the director of that crusade that you just saw. So I'm trying to unify the body of Christ. I'm going from church to church. And I gained like 20 pounds, Pastor, in Africa because every pastor's home that I went into, they would offer me a soda, an open soda. And in Africa, if somebody gives you an open soda, you got to drink it. So I literally, no, no joke, probably drunk about 100 sodas, which is awful. And so I gained 15 pounds in the four months that I was there. But I was trying to unify the body of Christ, which is, you know, almost imp- Yes, to the glory of God which is almost impossible in and of itself, but we did it. And this one particular day, I, was wor- I, I had moved from the church, and now I was in the city doing promo. And so now I'm putting up the banners. I'm, putting up, I'm getting teams together to put up the billboards. We had billboards actually made in the city. And so we're putting up these big billboards, and I had this bright idea. I said, let's stop traffic in the middle of the bid- busiest road right next to the crusade field because the billboard just went up and I wanted everybody to see it. And so I had the bright idea, let's stop traffic, cause a ruckus, let's get the police involved, it'll be awesome. And so we started running back and forth on the road, jumping up in the air. We had mics, we were preaching the gospel, getting, and so traffic stopped. And eventually I ended up on top of an 18-wheeler preaching the gospel from the top of the truck which was super dangerous and really stupid. I don't recommend it, but we were doing it to the glory of God. And so now, literally, there's probably 400 to 500 cars backed up. And in Africa, there's these things called bujajis. I don't know, you guys may have seen a bujaji, a a, 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 a,
It's not, not the safest thing in the world, but it's how people get around a lot in, in Africa. And so what happened was is we had these stickers, these, these stickers with the information on the cr- for the crusade on it. And we, we, had, we got another bright idea. Hey, let's put the stickers on the back of the bujajis so that all these bujajis go around the city. Well, we'll put thousands of them. So what we did is we would wave bujajis down, and we would sticker, 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 and we'd offer to pay them to put it on there. And so one bujaji came in, and we put the sticker on the back. Another one came in, we put the sticker on the back, and eventually we had 20 to 25 bujajis lined up, lined up, which also helped stop traffic, which was a win for me. So now we, we're causing this huge ruckus. The police come. They're asking what, what the deal is. We're trying to love on them uh, just to buy us some time. It, I really do think it was actually pretty effective for the crusade. <laughs> so although it wasn't the best method, it worked. I was standing there in the middle of that road, and that boy you saw on the screen came walking up with the biggest smile on his face. I want to I rewind about three months before where I met that boy at a gas station, and I preached the gospel to him. And when I was preaching the gospel to him, I could tell he was very afraid because his Muslim friends were around. And at that gas station, I wanted to share the word with, with him, and, and I could tell that the Lord was, was dealing with his heart. But he was pacing back and forth, and he began to sweat because he knew if he had accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior that he would not only have to move out of his house, but his family would disown him. And so he told me that day at the gas station, he said, Jacob, I'll take your number. Maybe I'll call you. That three months while I was in the city getting the crusade ready, I had him on my heart, and I was praying about him. His name was Abdul. Fast forward to that day on the street when we stopped traffic, I see Abdul walking down the road with the biggest smile on his face. And I could see him out of the corner of my eye. He walks up, and he hugs me, and he whispers in my ear, I want to give my life to Jesus. I turned around. And I began to preach the gospel to him. I got some of my friends. We began to pray over him. And he said this to me. He said, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to lose my entire family. And I said, no, I know you will, but it's okay. You're going to gain another one. You're going to gain another one. The next morning, he came to the biggest church in Kahama, thousands of people. And he walked in with his tunic on. He walked in the back, and I saw him sit there. And he's, you could tell he felt out of place. You could tell he didn't know where to go. I told this same story at that church, and that entire church consumed him with hugs and love. It was the most beautiful sight I'd ever seen in my life. He lost his family, but he gained an army. And so this is the battle that we deal with as evangelists, as Christians. We are standing in the gap. There's so many people like this. And, and I left Kahama, and my, my associate crusade director texted me. He said, Brother, Abdul is about to get baptized at my church. He has a church there in Kahama. And he said, we have to change his name. And so he asked me what we should name him. I was like, I don't know. Like, I've never, I've never named a grown man before. <laughs> so... We named him Elijah because that's my son's name. So now his name is Elijah. 
And my prayer and my hope is that we're going to go back to Kahama one day, and he is going to be my interpreter in a gospel crusade. Hallelujah. This is what Jesus does. In the last decade, more than a million Christians were martyred. Today, hundreds of people are killed every month for the gospel. Over 100 are kidnapped every month. Over 200 are, are raped or worse. An average of 66 churches are attacked every month. 160 are put in prison on trial for their faith. 3.2 billion people are not reached with the gospel, and so I wanted you to understand my heart cry and where our ministry, World Harvest, came from. If you can put that symbol up on the screen, the Islamic symbol, I want to tell you about this uh, because it pertains to our Pakistan crusade. There's a story behind this symbol. I want to read you a, a book from, from a book called I Am In. What does this mean? When militants from the self-proclaimed Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, ISIS, moved into northern Iraq, they began identifying Christian-owned property. Families would find the Arabic letter Noon painted on their homes and churches. This single letter conveyed the powerful accusation that the occupants were Nazarenes, people who followed Jesus of Nazareth, rather than Islam. To be labeled in, in a community dominated by Muslim extremists, is to undergo an immediate identity and life change. With this mark comes the ultimatum, if you convert to Islam or pay the tax, you can keep your material possessions and remain in this community. If not, leave or you will die. Any person who takes a stand for Jesus in occupied Iraq, any person who chooses to be in, pays a high cost. Without warning, some Christians are dragged from their homes and businesses by armed militants, and they are never seen again. Pastors who share the message of Jesus in their communities are beheaded in front of their families. Children who will not renounce Jesus are shot. Teenagers may be taken from their homes, and families are forced into service to ISIS or beaten, mutilated, and left for dead. Other atrocities are so horrific, I will not describe them here. Since 2003, such persecution has forced more than a million Iraqi Christians who refuse to renounce Jesus and the Bible to flee. Many survivors live in refugee camps, trusting God daily for their food, shelter, and safety because they have no money, no, no work options, and no other place to go. Even more challenging is the reality that their situation is not temporary. Their life circumstances on this earth are unlikely to improve ever. Yet their courageous, steadfast commitment to God in the face of persecution provides Jesus followers all over the world with a powerful picture of what being in is all about. They willingly sacrifice everything they have in this world in order to fulfill God's calling to obey and serve him. Like the heroes of faith whose stories we read about in the Bible in Hebrews 11 and in the record of church history, they are living out Paul's words in Philippians chapter 1, 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Hallelujah. And if you think this is something that happened 10 years ago, think again. 
I'm fixing to head out to Yeringa, Africa next week. And I just got word, and you can look up the news article. I can send it to you, Pastor, where 69 people were just murdered two hours from Yeringa. What's happening in Tanzania, Africa, is the Tanzanian president, President Magufuli, he has passed away three months ago. He brought peace to that nation. But when he died, these Muslim radicals are, are rising up again. There's a huge wave of Christianity flowing through the continent of Africa. It's wonderful. But these Muslim radicals are not having it, and so we're starting to see these, these people rise up. It was 69 people murdered, but 12 were, were beheaded. But uh, we're going there to take territory from the devil as well. <coughs> Franklin Graham posted this not too long ago. Christians in Nigeria are being brutally slaughtered, and they feel like the rest of the world is turning a deaf ear to their, their cries. Murder, torture, abduction inflicted on Christians by Muslims. Thousands of Christians have died just since January at the hands of Muslim herdsmen and Boka radicals. In a recent social media video, a Christian leader tried to put their distress into words, begging the U.S. and the Brit British parliamentarians and the U.N. for help. America, please stand for us. We are dying. Please allow us to survive. We have nobody. Only God in heaven can stand for us. Please, please, I'm begging you, stand for the helpless, end quote. Just one of the latest incidents, including the murder of a pastor and four members of his family and three of his children were set on fire, burned beyond recognition. In some places to say, I am a Christian, some people pay in blood to make that statement. But so many in the American church reject anything that doesn't look like traditional Christianity and calls it going off the deep end. That same night, when I, when I heard John Child's story, I went home and I began to really study the Word of God. And I, I, I really began to read the words of Jesus. And a few months went by. And I started to realize that what Jesus said was not what I was living. I want to read some of those verses to you. These are the words of the man who we claim is king, of the God who we claim is king. These are the words of Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. These are in red letters. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 through 39. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father more than me, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. I know we've heard this before. But, but listen to it this time. 
Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? John chapter 6, verse 53 through 58. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. I'd love to have the worship team come back and play that song, Lay It All Down. You know, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you want to stand with me, I know that this was a different message this morning, but I wanted you to hear my heart. And I know that there is somebody in this place that needs to lay it all down. And I can look out in this audience. I can look out in this audience and I can see, I can see so many people that if you just turn around, if you just turn around and follow Jesus, there's a thousand people lined up behind you ready to hear the gospel. If you just step out of the boat, there's a thousand people out in those deep waters ready to hear the message of Jesus. If you just step out of the boat, you could, sh you could shake this city with the gospel. I beg you, come to this altar and give him everything. Lay it all down. Not just 25%, not just 50%. I'm drawing a line in the sand here. I'm drawing a line in the sand here. If you wanna give him 100%, you cross this line and give him everything. I wanna pray with you. As you continue to pray and as you continue to seek what the Lord has for you, I want you to pray about coming alongside of our brother Jacob. You know, it may not be that you're called to Burundi or Kamala or Thailand. I understand not everybody has the same call. My wife and I were talking and there's lots of needs right here in the church. There's lots of needs in our community. There's a ton of needs in the surrounding communities and surrounding counties. There's crazy need in this state and in the surrounding states. There's all kinds of needs in all kinds of different places. If you feel a call, don't deny what God is doing in your life. If He's calling you to go to some long lost island, if He's calling you to go to Nigeria, 
Honduras, Africa, Canada, across the street. Just be obedient. Say to the Lord, here am I, send me. Put one foot in front of the other under the power of the Holy Spirit. Open up your mouth and let the gospel flow forth. And God will do miraculous things. And let me tell you something right now. I love to hear of 57 some odd thousand people coming to the Lord. I love to hear 4,500 people in Pakistan, of all places, coming to the Lord. But you know there is rejoicing in heaven, but for one soul being saved. All of heaven breaks out and erupts in praise exaltation, adoration, and cheers because that's one more that is singing the praises of Christ Jesus who is oh so worthy. He is oh so worthy. So this day, I want you to commit as our brothers already called us to be obedient to the gospel call in your life. And I want to call you on this note to partner with me Partner with me and with the Well Church in our partnering with our brother Jacob. In our partnering with our brother and sister, Alicia and Melissa. With our partnering with Stephen Birch in Asheville. With our partnering with the Grams. And all of these others. As we partner with CR and the work that St brother Steve's doing. Brother Steve's a missionary right here in our own backyard. Seeking to save those who are, are lost and dying and bound up in addiction. All kinds of addiction. What we're going to do now is we're going to take a love offering for Brother Jacob. He don't even know I was going to do this. I've not mentioned to him. We're going to take a love offering for Jacob and his wife as they are doing uh, these preparations. And he's got to fly to, to go and to do all this setup. And there's lots of costs. He showed me the breakdown. They're trying to raise over $100,000 to try and seek to save, through the power of the gospel, 200,000 people. Now, $100,000, that's just the essentials. And he's making hardly nothing. He showed me the breakdown. But this is what he's doing. He, he, this is what he's doing with his life. This is his career choice, the gospel. Praise the Lord. And as the Apostle Paul's job was to preach the gospel and he did some tent making from time to time here and there's what he could. He also received support from the church. And they would bring him gifts and they would invest into his ministry so that he could do what God had called him to do. Listen, as I've told you from day one, I'll say it again because I think it's important. This man did not seek me out. He did not. Now he is having to go do some fundraising, but this isn't one where he sought me out to try to get money from me or to try to get money from you. I saw the work this man was doing and I took money out of my pocket and I said, I want you to have my money because I believe in what he's doing. And I've got my work going on over here and I can't go over there. But I want to help pay for you to go over there because I believe what he's doing is legit. I believe it's a work of God. And so I'm not telling you to do anything I've not done. I've invested my money and I'm going to invest more as much as I can because I want to have a part 
of 200,000 coming to salvation or whether it's one I want to have a part in that so he didn't seek me out I sought him out and now I'm giving you an opportunity to invest in the kingdom work that brother Jacob is doing and it'll be a continued opportunity as well so we're going to do a love offering today and I want to tell you this too this is a side note brother Jamie Sheehan come in here he's a local pastor and we're working with him too He's doing kingdom work too. His wife had come down with COVID. She was on death's door pretty much. God healed her, praise God. But she was out of work for weeks. He was trying to make it on a police officer's salary. And I ask you to give. And I ask you to give like people at the well give. And you know, he called me back. I talked to him and he said, I cannot believe that. That was too much. You know, that one day you guys gave him over $2,500 to help feed his family $2,500 he was in awe at the love and the generosity that we would show him and that was no surprise to me because I know you guys now some of y'all love money and you're going to hold on to it that's okay if you love your money hold on to it keep it that's your friend okay but some of y'all love Jesus. You see what I just did there? Now you got to choose. Now every one of y'all got to give. No. In all seriousness, some of y'all really love the Lord. You see what's going on. You trust me. You trust Him. You trust what God's doing. And you're willing to invest. And you're willing to invest as much as you can. Some of you, it might be a dollar. Some of you, it might be a thousand. I know my brother will appreciate everything. I'll shut up now, and I'll leave you with this. Give as the Lord has led you to give, and give everything that you can so we can see this work go forward. Now, we're going to do our tithe as well, and I'll tell you like I've told you a bunch of other times, okay? If you've got to choose today because you don't have any money, and you've got to choose whether you're going to tithe to the church or whether you're going to give to our brother Jacob. I believe in what our brother's doing so much, and I've come to love him to a degree, that I'm going to tell you, if you have to choose, if you don't got no money, and you got to choose to give to the church or to give to our brother Jacob, I'm going to tell you, I think, with the permission of the other elders, to go ahead and give, if you got to choose, give it to Jacob. I want to see his work go forth. And we're going to create a way for you to give on our website, in the drop down menu right now you can give we got a playground going in if you click there you can give to the to help with the playground we're going to put a thing on there where you can help and you can give to to jacob and what he's going on he's got a lot of funds to give so i hope we can keep this going and give to him and and do as much as we can to help with that he's got lots of churches going to help with that but so we can see this mission go forth you did great when you gave for the chavez family as they're going overseas and we're going to do the same for you today, Brother Jacob, because we love you and we believe in you. And with that being said, let me shut up. I'm going to pray. And then you do what God has called you to do, and you give on the way out the door. And come up and shake Jacob's hand and hug his neck and let him know uh, that you're with him. And if you can't give a dime, I get it, man. Some of us in a tough spot. I get it. God will provide for Jacob. But you can pray. And you can pray. So that will be 
that will be more than any dollar can do. So let's do all we can in every way. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for our brother. Thank you for your word going forth. More than that, thank you for your son. Thank you, Father, for the son and sending him to do the work that could not be done by any other human being. We needed the God-man to do the work that we could not do in order to provide the way and to pave the road and to be the bridge that would allow us to come into relationship with the Father. Holy Spirit, would you, would you come and, and do a work in our heart? Grant us repentance, God. Grant us a vision and eyes to see and an awareness of your word. We pray, God, that you would help us to hide your word in our heart that we might not sin against you and to be willing to invest not just money, but time and effort. And may everything that we do be done as if unto the Lord, because it is. Bless Brother Jacob as he goes and he does the work of an evangelist. And I pray that 500,000 would get saved. I pray, God, that an entire army would be, would be awakened to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that your saints would be awakened. And that the kingdom would grow exponentially, God. And that it would just snowball from there. Help us, God, as we try to do what you called us to do. Grant us repentance. Grant us to see. And give us the motivation and the power to walk in the spirit of life. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Love y'all. White bucket is Jacob. White bucket is Jacob. Silver bucket is the well. Thank you. Love y'all.